0: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, AJ. Hey, again, 6 p.m. It's a, it's a privilege to, to be here as we finish off our series in Genesis, as we finish off our series called, called The Master Storyteller. And it's really been a story of how our, our sovereign Lord has taken his people through mountains and valleys how he's navigated in and through their sin, through the evil in their hearts, how he's made promises, yet he sees them through. And even when his promises appear, just appear, to be hanging by a thread, our God shows up. Our master storyteller shows up. And so as we finish our series today, it's not without ups and downs. As we track through our scripture today, there is a lot of good. There's heaps of good. But it's not sparing us of moments of doubt. We see God's plan unfold in, in brilliance and in utmost wisdom. But there's also moments of uncertainty and sin. We see God's sovereign guiding hand in every single scene. But sometimes you're just not completely sure whether everything is going to work out, whether everything is going to work out well. And can I say that that that's life, isn't it? That's life. We know God's sovereign. We know he holds the whole world in his hands. We know that there will be a day where we'll stand before him and that death will be no more. We know this, but there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of downs. There's grief, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's confusion, there's why God? There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of evil out there. There's a lot of evil in here, in you and me. There's evil in this world. And our, our focus verse for today deals exactly with this evil. It's a great one to commit to memory. Genesis 50:20. We're gonna, like I said earlier, cover chapters 42 to 50 broadly. 50 verse 20 is really the one to remember. It's the one to remember, and it says this. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers, and he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is being done today, the saving of many lives. Or more literally, in the ESV, it says, You meant evil against me, but God meant it. For good. God meant it for good. And can I say that that the good that God brings about is far greater than we probably think or, or first imagine? It's not really until we, we see the depths of evil that we see the goodness of God, the heights of God's good. It's not until we recognize the the extent of the brokenness that exists within these pages in God's word that we recognize the beauty, the goodness of God. It's really like how how the moon and the stars, they they shine the brightest when the sky is at its darkest. Or I think about that the first time our seven-month-old daughter Ray had a, a sneaky lick of chocolate, and she thought it was the best thing ever, but it's because over the last month, all she's had were things like pureed cauliflower and plain egg. It's not really until you see the other side that you see how good the good is. It's not really until you recognize how evil the evil is that you see how good the good is. And I'm not saying that you know pureed cauliflower is evil or anything, but it's not till you see the other side, right? When we look in our scripture, when we take Judah just as an example, one of Joseph's brothers, before even our passage in chapter 37, Judah gets jealous of Joseph. He's the one who actually suggests for his brother to be sold into slavery. Then in the next chapter, chapter 38, we didn't read this last week, but we see Judah, he marries the Canaanite woman, someone who wasn't an Israelite, something that God forbid at the time, but not only that. He then proceeds to, to sleep with his daughter-in-law. Not only that, he, make, he gets her pregnant. Not only that, he accuses her of being a prostitute when he was the one who slept with her, when he was the one who got her pregnant in the first place. So when we take Judah alone, just Judah, we see the evil that's within these pages. You see the evil that was intended by Joseph's brothers. But Genesis fifty twenty. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. This is a story where where God picks up all the shattered pieces of evil in their lives, in our lives, and he puts it together to somehow make something good of of it. This is a story that sees one undeserving grace after another and after another. Chapters 42 to 50 have, have all the good that God brings about from all the mess that we read about before. And the good specifically, the good in these chapters, I want to say is transformation, reconciliation, and flourishing. Those are our three points, transformation, reconciliation, and flourishing. And to give you an idea of how this relates to us, this account of Joseph It's not just a story in and of itself. It's not just isolated. But I want to say that this shows us the promised pattern for God's people. It shows us the the promised pattern for God's people. It's our blueprint for our lives, transformation, reconciliation, flourishing. So as we go through this narrative, I want to invite you to see and encounter the goodness of God in his providence. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Our first point, transformation. You know, we used Judah as an example earlier of, of all the evil that Joseph's brothers intended. And so we're going we're to keep tracking with him to, to see the goodness of God in, transform, in transforming him. As I mentioned in, in the summary of the chapters beforehand, 42 to 44, there's these moments of tension, right? There's this this testing, there's these situations that Joseph puts his brothers in to see if they've really changed. Are they going to, again, forsake their brother for money? Are they going to throw their youngest brother, Benjamin, under the bus to avoid punishment in their famine? Are they going to take the food and leave? No, they don't. And it's because our God in his providence is a God of transformation. He's a God of renewal. He's a God of redemption. When we take Judah as an example, what we see in the chapters before, 37 to 38, we see a very selfish, very opportunistic man. He's an adulterer. He sleeps with his daughter-in-law. He sells his brother into slavery. But then when we encounter Judah again in chapters 42 to 44, we see a transformed man, one who pledges his life to ensure Benjamin is safe. Chapter 43, verse 9. Turn with me there. It says this. Judah is saying, this. he says, I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him, for Benjamin. Judah is now someone who will also offer his life in place of someone else's in prison. He's a substitute. He does something very much that Jesus would do. Benjamin's about to become a slave, yet Judah, in his transformation, takes his place. It's a confirmation of the change, the authentic repentance that Judah has undergone. Judah starts to live up to the Christ-like figure that he should be. And if this isn't a redemption arc, then I don't know what is, because our God is a God of transformation. Now, I think we can view the testing of Joseph in, in two ways. We could view it negatively and think, if Joseph really did love his brothers, why did he test them? If Joseph was all about reconciliation, all about forgiveness, why didn't he do it like that? Or we could view it another way and see that the testing is an opportunity for transformation. Transformation it's an opportunity to redeem themselves because joseph could have very very easily left his brothers to suffer through the famine and never receive reconciliation with him at all and so when the brothers come to egypt i don't want you to imagine just just one stall and joseph is there manning that one stall and waiting for him waiting for them i want you to imagine hundreds of stalls hundreds of attendants because the reality is that, is that Joseph was the governor of this land. He oversaw the entire operation. He wouldn't have been manning a small little store, shoveling grains into people's sacks for the common people across the world. Joseph was the governor of this world, of this land, Egypt. And so it's really in God's providence that he actively gets Joseph to go and meet them there in their famine, in their desperation, and offer an opportunity to show change, to show transformation, and eventually receive reconciliation. And can I say that it's also in our famine, in our weakness, in our shame, in our sin, that God goes and actively meets us in there, He gives us an opportunity to find grace in there, an opportunity to find rescue, to be changed, to be transformed. Testing isn't cruel. It's God's decision to not just leave us in our brokenness, to not just leave us in the effects of our own evil, but to provide us a way out, an opportunity for grace. Let's read chapter 43, verse 30. This is Joseph when he first meets Benjamin again. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Joseph is filled with, with, with so much emotion at the sight of his brother. He's so overwhelmed with what I want to say is compassion. He has to retreat to another room even when the testing wasn't over, even when they hadn't proven that they changed. Joseph had compassion on them. And this is exactly our Lord Jesus while He awaits our transformation. The heart of Jesus is, is one of compassion on the, upon the imperfect. There's no waiting till we're right. There's no waiting till we've tidied ourselves up before He comes to love us. Matthew 9:36 says this. It says, "When He saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus sees us harassed, helpless, wrestling with sin, struggling, broken, shameful, evil in our hearts, he has compassion. His heart goes out to us because even though we intend harm and evil, the Lord intends it for good. And as our shepherd, Jesus comes to lead us, guide us, transform us, this narrative that we find ourselves in is one that shows that transformation is even possible, that second chances are a thing, that God has the the power in his providence to move in our hearts despite evil and somehow bring about something good. If If you're wrestling with sin, as we all should be actually, the Lord Jesus has compassion on you in that process. He has grace for you in that process. Or if you've been tied down with habitual sin or, or even addiction or, or even some form of abuse, I want to say that, that our God can transform you. He can break those chains. In fact, he has broken those chains. So often as as Christians, when we're wrestling with our sin, we're sitting there holding broken chains. When God is calling us to step out of the prison, like Joseph's brothers, we're not in the prison anymore. God is calling us to take a step out because sin no longer has a hold on us. The power of sin is no longer on you anymore. We can break our habitual sin. Transformation is possible. Transformation can happen in your life. And transformation must happen in your life somehow. In some way. Our lives must reflect some sort of change. If your life now is the same as your old life, or is the same as, as the world around us. then God is calling for change. God in our scripture, he gave Joseph's brothers an opportunity to repent because he wanted to see repentance. He wanted to see transformation, even if it took 20 years, which it did. Change is slow, but God wants to see it. Are you ready to, to change for God? Chapter 42, verse 21, read with me. 42, 21. Joseph's brothers are are reflecting on their sin. They say this, they say to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen to Joseph. There's this active reflection that the brothers go through in their transformation. And for us, this is a call to to take time to think of specific sins. Think of specific sins that you want to flee from. Write them down. Talk to friends about them. Talk to people here about them. Actively reflect and recognize the sin in your life. But at the same time, always hold in your heart that in God's providence, he can take what you intended for evil bring about good. He has the power to transform, so lean on Him. Lean on His Spirit. His Spirit's convicting you of transformation, prompting you of transformation every single day of your life. And not only can God bring about transformation, but He can bring about our second point, reconciliation. He can bring about reconciliation. This is where we come to that first Bible reading in chapter 45, verses 1 to 2. It says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph carries an uncontrollable emotion in front of his brothers even after they sold him into slavery. There is no bitterness. There is no revenge. He tells them in verse 5 to not be angry at themselves. Joseph here is reconciling with his brothers, covering them in forgiveness that they don't deserve. And this is another example of God's undeserving grace upon grace upon grace. You know, it reminds me of this story. Happened in 2020, a few years ago now where a drunk driver, this happened in in, in Sydney, where a drunk driver kills four children between the ages of eight to 13. Three of those children were siblings and the other was their cousin. And a few days later, the mother of those three children, Layla, she says to, to the drunk driver, I forgive you. This is just three days afterwards. She says, I forgive you. I I can't hate you. It's not in me, but I forgive you. It almost feels wrong that forgiveness happens so quickly in this situation. It almost feels unjust to herself that she forgives so quickly after the accident. It almost doesn't feel right that God could bring about this good in forgiveness so quickly. It doesn't feel right. The family from that tragedy, they started this initiative called the, the I Forgive initiative. And they encouraged people to search within their hearts for one person to forgive every single year. And, and it's one of those situations where, where good happens, not just despite evil, but because of evil. Where good happens not just despite our evil, but because of our evil. And it's because our God He can take what is evil and turn it into something good. That's who he is. And when we see Joseph's reaction too, it's so contrary to what I would do in in his situation. Knowing that his own brothers sought to harm him, yet having such an overflowing forgiveness for them, wanting to offer reconciliation to them, I think that there's something we can learn from, from Joseph's forgiveness. Joseph's forgiveness here is not begrudging. It's not reluctant. This was a forgiveness and reconciliation that was bursting from the seams. Joseph couldn't hold himself any longer. He couldn't wait. How often is our forgiveness like Joseph's? How often is our forgiveness like Jesus' filled with compassion, filled with eagerness, not reluctant? Yes, the reconciliation, I know it, it came after authentic repentance, authentic transformation, but the posture the whole time was one of willingness. This was a desire to forgive. Joseph wasn't stingy with his forgiveness. Jesus isn't stingy with our, his forgiveness to us. And if there's someone in your life that you can think of right now that you could offer forgiveness to, I want to encourage you or, or even challenge you to do so. This could be hard. This could be bitterness in your heart for years on end. This could be a grievous sin done to you. This could be someone who's let you down repeatedly over and over again. This person couldn't, might not even know that they've wronged you. But work towards forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm not saying rush into it. I'm not saying do it now. But I'm saying work towards it. And when you do, not if you do, but when you do, let it carry the same posture of Joseph and Jesus, a willingness, an eagerness, a compassion. Because the reality is, if the most holy and perfect god could reconcile us an imperfect broken shattered people to himself then there is no relationship in your life that cannot undergo the powerful reconciling work of god if the most holy and imperfect perfect god could reconcile us to himself, then what relationship in your life cannot be reconciled by that God? Seek healing, forgiveness, reconciliation with those around you because the Lord Jesus has done the same for us. This, this here is the good the Lord brings out of our evil. And as we return to the narrative in chapter 50, Joseph's brothers, they they start to fear that Joseph is going to start to repay their original evil. They start to doubt the forgiveness that Joseph offered them. They question whether he's going to withdraw his reconciliation. But Joseph replies with three words, three simple words. It's actually the most frequent command in the Bible. It's don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. My forgiveness is not conditional. It's not fickle. It's certain. It lasts. And there is also no doubt in God's forgiveness for you. There is grace upon grace upon grace. Don't be afraid. For God's forgiveness is assured. God gives us this opportunity to be transformed. But even if it takes time, even if it involves failure, his forgiveness is assured. There is no need to be afraid because in our God's sovereignty and providence, we see the truth in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, the saving of many of many lives. It is no coincidence that in the midst of a famine the Lord brought about feasting for Joseph's brothers. It is no coincidence that through the sacrifice of one man in Joseph that many lives were saved. It is no coincidence, it's all providence, that the brothers sold Joseph and God turned that to salvation. How much more is it God's providence that the Lord Jesus was sold by one who he considered a brother in Judas, and God turned that to our salvation. How much do we see God's providence in that? Our God's goodness completely redeems the evil intended by the brothers, by the world, by ourselves. He doesn't just show his goodness in, in transformation that we've seen. It's the reconciliation. But not only that. There is flourishing for God's people. That's our third point. There is flourishing for God's people. We're going to finish on this point. The flourishing of God's people that he's able to bring about for them through their evil. This is how good our God is. He doesn't simply give second chances. He doesn't simply bring forgiveness. These are incredible things, but he also enables our flourishing. Go back with me to 45, chapter 45, verse 16 to 18. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Then jump down one verse, verse 20, Pharaoh says, never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. God provides for his people beyond measure. The greatest land in all Egypt, living off the fat of the land, never mind about your belongings, I'm giving you the best. This is the flourishing that Jacob's family experienced. But we have to keep going back to it, right? They experienced this flourishing against the backdrop of their evil. We see how good the good is when we see the other side, when we see how evil the evil is. It's a totally undeserved grace. It's a provision of abundance and favor. They get to feast in the midst of a famine, and we get the same. We get the same. We get to feast in the middle of our famine. You probably think it's a cop-out. You probably think it's a cop-out to say that we feast in a spiritual sense rather than a physical sense. But do you not believe that spiritual feasting is better than physical feasting? Do you not believe that spiritual feasting is far better than physical feasting? That when God says in Ephesians 1 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus, which includes being chosen specifically by God, redeemed by God, forgiven by God, lavished with grace by God, that being blessed with all that and more in the name of Jesus... It's not better than anything physical this world can offer. Our God is a God of flourishing right now and later. We search and we search for the fat of the land in the North Shore, but it's right before your eyes. Come into the presence of God and find every spiritual blessing. We search and we search for relationships, connections, networks that validate us, But the one who made you is offering relationship through reconciliation. He's taken what is evil in your heart and turned it for good, the salvation of your soul. Evil is what we have offered and flourishing is what we have received. This is the goodness of God. Not that he simply takes the evil out there in the world and and makes all, makes all things work together for your good according to his purpose. But he takes the evil in here. In here, and prepares a room for us in heaven. What was lost in the fall is overturned. What was lost in our sin is redeemed. What was lost in Abraham and Sarah Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel and Leah, what was lost with Joseph's brothers has been overturned because our God is the God who takes what we meant for evil and he means it for good, for the saving of many lives, for the saving of our lives. This is the God who holds your life in his hands and he has written your story. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are someone who takes the evil in this world, in our hearts, and you turn it for good. Give us a vision, an insight, far beyond what we just see in front of us, to see that you have a greater plan that we might not even know Lord, we pray that you would give us a trust and a hope that you can bring transformation in our lives, in the people's lives around us, that you can bring reconciliation between us and you. You can bring reconciliation with the people around us and you can bring flourishing right now. Lord, we thank you that in the name of Jesus, this is a promise that we can believe in. And pray All this in his name. Amen.